Good morning. Welcome to the Money Matters Show, Sunday, April 2nd. I'm Dave Sherwood. I'm here with John Greenberg. I'm here with Todd Glick Jr. Dean will be back with us next week. Look forward to his return. Hey, April Fools, do you guys, you young guys do anything with April Fools? Or do you even know what that is? Yeah, well, I know so what April Fools Day? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think we all did in, in, you know, elementary school. So you're thinking that if you're beyond elementary school, it shouldn't be something you're talking about? No, I mean, I think some people do it in high school. That's when you get the really good April Fools jokes. Really, I think as an adult when it gets serious. Really? Yeah. I'm not an April Fools guy, but uh, there's some people that pause. You seem pretty good like ones. an April Fools. Guy. I do. Yeah, I am a fool, but, uh, <laughs> and it is April. You seem yeah. like you would pull a joke on Linda. <laughs> no, you don't want to pull jokes on Linda. <laughs> <laughs> I think I learned it, learned at an early age that that's uh, that's not something that you want to be doing. You know, it's the time of the year. I'm driving around out there, and the traffic is just unbelievable. Right? And I said to my wife last night, "So well, won't be long now until the winter visitors will be." going home and uh, she said i don't think they're going anymore they live here now and very true it's gonna be really oh, interesting. definitely more so than it was a couple of years ago that's for sure yeah i mean i remember back in the day i've lived here for for 50 years back in the day you could shoot a gun off on on broadway in july and not hit a soul I really mean, it would it just uh, no no problems there whatsoever it was you could go to any restaurant you can go to any movie uh you, there were no lines for anything i think those days are probably over yeah but i would say uh, with to the winter visitors who are starting to pack up and get ready to, to to go back home, if this was your first winter in the desert, you got to give us another chance, right? You got to give us another chance. Yeah, very unusual. <laughs> I've lived for fifty-one years, and it was the coldest and wettest winter I can ever remember. And that uh, that is exactly what we needed. I saw this uh, graph of the drought in California yeah. in December of twenty-two, and it showed like pretty much all the majority of the middle part of California was in just red, dark red, and needed water really bad. And then March 14th of 23, all gone. Gone. It's yeah, gone. So I mean, it, it was exactly what we needed. It's not going to solve the problems. Lake Mead's still going to be going down. It, it isn't going to solve the long-term problems that we've that our regulators have allowed to occur here. Uh, but it certainly is wonderful to, yep, to be able out. to have that and see the Colorado River running bank to bank uh, without the – and the island in the middle covered with water when I went over there uh, a couple weeks ago, that was, that was really nice. Yep. So talk about a wild month. We're at the end of the first quarter. Yeah. Uh, so we put three months in, and, of course, we had a good January, uh, a not-so-good February. And then March started off. We hit the low for this year, believe it or not, two weeks ago. Yeah, really. March 13th. Nice the, last you know. two weeks. I mean, this whole week, it was the Dow was up 3%. S&P was up 3.5%. And the Nasdaq was up almost 3.5%. With the interesting one was that the Russell 2000, the small cap, was up 3.8%, which was the most for the week. But for the month, it was down 5. Yeah, it so really got, got small really got cap, hammered. cap got hammered with those regional bank issues during the month. And, of course, it was early in the month. The, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank kicked it off, and then it kind of went from there. Yeah, then First um, Republic was all up in disarray. And then you start hearing about uh, about Deutsche Bank and uh, all, all, every other – anyway, so it, it's, and you had uh, UBS take over uh, – Credit um, Suisse. Thank you. Credit Suisse. Yep. And we had a, that then this past weekend, a week ago, we had another takeover uh, uh, where uh, the bank in North Carolina bought uh, 70% of First Republic's assets. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was um, at a $20 billion discount. First Citizens. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, at a, so, Citizens Bank. So it, so so just in, in the big picture, so we come into this month, uh, we're up for the year. Month starts off relatively quiet. 
and then all heck breaks loose when the bank thing starts to go and you get the shades of 2008. But within a few days, the, the, I'll give the government credit, the FDIC credit for coming in there and, and saying what they needed to say and doing what they needed to do to stabilize that. Yeah, they wasted no time in taking over SVB. No, they just jumped on it and, and, yeah. and it, it made all the difference. It's really interesting and, and cool to see the FDIC jump in so quickly. And you talked about it last week. It's all about trust in the banking system. It is. And and that's how you develop it. You have to make bold claims, big claims that put people at ease. And so You're going to be okay. Yeah. Period. You're going to be okay. Which is a statement that, you know, could definitely be a lie at that at that point. But as long as people believe it's true, then it all reverts back and everything's fine, right? Right. And then mid midweek or mid month, uh, Powell said that they're they're getting close to to done on rates increases. And boy, I'm not sure about that. Uh, the 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 weird part a weird month the ten year treasury yield the yield on the ten year treasury Todd dropped fifteen percent that's not what the Fed wants to see no. right now that's not helping no I mean that that's a look that's literally the bond market saying the Fed is going to have to lower rates and the Fed says we're not lowering rates at all in twenty twenty three and the bond market says yeah good luck with that yeah you're going to Period. You're going to. I mean, it's just, it's un- an unbelievable standoff. We talked about it for a few months uh, about how the the bond market is so huge, three times the size of the stock market. Right. And they're telling the Fed, no, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Now, the only thing that would cause them to have to do that, I'm, I think, well, I, I guess if you keep interest rates, if interest rates keep dropping, they're going to have to keep raising the Fed funds rate. But then, what difference is it going to make? Right. And not only that, I mean. What we're going to see, and Dean talked about it a couple weeks ago, is when banks see that other banks are having problems, they don't loan out more, right? They're not yeah. saying, oh, this is a great time to loan. Let's, let's, let's open up our loan books more. No, they do the opposite. They say, we're not going to extend as much loans to out to some of those people that we don't, aren't sure they're going to pay us back. So what does that do? Well, the people can't now finance certain projects, and so that will bring down inflation at loan as well. So I think we'll see a, that credit tightening have effects not today not tomorrow but about three to six months down the road and that's going to be really interesting to see how that impacts the economy i think the uh, i think the, the 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 interest rates are are, are saying that that uh, are, are doing a lot of the fed's work for them if you will yeah uh the banking crisis is i think went a long way towards quelling inflation we saw the february cpi was six the february pce was five the difference between those two, the CPI, of course, is the consumer price index. That's what consumers pay for things. The PCE, which is the one the Fed watches more, is what everybody pays for everything. And, and you say, well, what, what's the difference? A good example, I think probably the best example would be a, a hospital bill. You go into the hospital and your bill's 20 grand and maybe you pay two or three. So that is in the CPI, the two or three. The 20 grand that it costs is in the PCE. Yeah, and also the PCE gets its data from businesses. The CPI gets its data from consumers. Right. So two different sources there as well, which is again to your point. Right. And and but both of those indexes are indices are coming the way we want them to come. The CPI from nine point one to six. The PCE, I think the highest I got was eight. Uh, yeah, from, like eight point one or eight something. to five. Uh, but so, they they're all slowing at a slower rate. Well, but we haven't seen the impact of what this banking uh, debacle did. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see the CPI in 10 days or so to uh, what, what, what the banking 
debacle. Yeah, what the fallout from that was. What the fallout know, from that is. is it, be. I mean, do we go from six to, to five? Yeah, and the Fed doesn't meet next, next month, so there's no chance for a rate drop there. No, ch- no chance for a, 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 how about this, a, a very slim chance of a rate. They'd have to call a special meeting. They would. I mean, you're yeah, absolutely so right. Yeah, very slim chance. The next one. Yeah. The Let's next. also think about the fact that gas prices have not gone down. They oh, they've gone back up. They've what gone is up back with up, that? Right. And Oil so, prices just right. plummeted and it made no difference. Well, Oil prices gonna... are down like mid-70s now. They went up a little bit last week. But gas prices are back. Like, so when oil was at like $72, gas prices are at three twenty. Yep. And even at $75 it was. But now for some reason it's at $74, $75 a, ba- a barrel. And gas prices are $4 a gallon. I don't get it. I don't either. I've, I've, I've done some research. I've called some people. I can't, <laughs> I can't get anybody to explain it to me uh, as to why that's happening. Well, the only thing that made sense is what we were talking about a little bit was maybe they had contracts with the old purchase price of when oil was higher. Sure, and they still have that in the ground, but, but that would that would imply that, that every gas station has right, you know, and they're no all no one heads. Yeah, yeah. Come on. that's just, why it doesn't make sense to me. Either. I just don't know. Uh, I don't know. Unless but the reason I bring that problems. up though is because that's going to increase CPI. Right, yeah, that that component of of CPI is going to be increased. So you need to have bigger decreases in other fields, and housing has not really slowed a lot in these last couple of months. I mean, not as much as you would think. Right, exactly, and so. It's going to be interesting how much it does slow. Maybe it just stays even, you know. We ended up the uh, with the first quarter with the S and P five hundred up seven percent, and considering it's averaged ten uh, percent uh, per year, and we're about seventy percent of the way through the year. But you know, you could say, well, you got some catching up to do from twenty twenty two. Anyway, long story short, I think we we closed right around forty one hundred on Friday on yeah. the S and P five hundred. That has been an area of resistance. Yeah, and I th- I think frankly the market. We're still we're still playing defense. We still believe this is a bear market rally. We don't think this is okay. Better get in quick. Um, it was a it was a bit of a buying panic late in the week, especially the final hour on Friday. It yeah. just all just took off. Yeah, and I mean it, that tends to happen at the end of the quarter as well. Like you already see a rally on that Friday, and then it kind of can go up more. And this, you bring a good point, Dylan. There's an awfully lot of uh, of end of quarter rebalancing. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is mutual funds and hedge funds uh, and other money managers produce quarterly performance reports for their clients. And the hottest sector has been technology up 17%. So the one thing you wanted to be in on that quarterly report is you want to have a good weighting in technology. Yeah. And so we saw tech stocks really pop this week. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's all that is. It's just, yeah. and the, the, the interesting part is that can be reversed on Monday. Yeah, you know, April April third, you come in and it's it's a whole different. It's literally going to be a different world on April third. Now, will the rally continue? My guess is probably not in the short term. Yeah, I mean, it's just surprising that the S and P is up seven percent in a year that we had a, the second largest bank failure in history. Yeah, in well, and the, history. it wasn't signature; it was the third. And the signature believe, was the third. Right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but that's worth a rally in that month because February isn't a great month for the. S&P. I mean, January was right. up 6.7%, then it dropped down 3% roughly yeah. during February. Now it came back to 7% to end the quarter. But to use... But even with that, it's, <laughs> it's just interesting during the Pardon second me. biggest bank failure yeah. that yeah. happened, that, that was but able also to happen. to use history as a guide, in 2008, we had a big company in the name of Bear Stearns fail, and we didn't see the real problems happen until about six months down the road. But well, no, back in 08, did the FDIC jump in like that? Oh yeah, they did. Like, oh yeah, that quickly. Yeah, yeah. They, they um, uh, 
um, Bank of America was forced to buy Merrill Lynch. I knew that. I just didn't know yeah. how quickly. And there it all were several happened. other shotgun marriages like that. That quick? Because oh, yeah. I mean, like they jumped in the next day, pretty much for SVB. It wasn't. It wasn't as quick as SVB was so sudden and so obvious. It mm-hmm. was more gradual. Gotcha. All right, so before we get any further, let me do our disclaimer real quick. This show discusses different investment products and strategy. Every product and strategy has some type of inherent risk, and we strongly encourage our listeners to properly understand these risks because when they're understood, one can properly decide whether to buy, sell, or hold. Again, Dylan, we, you know, we had some really interesting weeks before, and this week it was kind of like we finally had a chance to take a breather, and the markets loved it. They just continued to buy and a lot of that had to do with what Dave was saying, the quarterly rebalancing um, hedge fund managers looking at it and other managers looking at it. Like we need to have some technology on our books. So the client sees that technology stocks are rising. Well, they have it in their portfolio. So it makes them look good. Well, I mean, and that's managers. also part of the reason the S and P jumped as well, because some, a lot of those companies in the S and P 500 are tech companies, which are in the NASDAQ as well. I mean, you got meta who just killed it for the last month and a half with all the rumors that TikTok is going to be banned, and it looks more and more likely that that will happen. Yeah. Meta's back over 200, just having a great two months because of it. We they, talked last week that we didn't really I, – I don't, I don't think the um, our elected officials have the um, backbone to ban TikTok. I don't think no, that's – I bet they're trying to, like, strong arm until they do something where they just give it to us. I think so. Give us the data so we just – and it's two different entities – you got the U.S. TikTok and the China TikTok. You know, they don't touch, they don't talk, they don't do anything. Right. It would most likely be a forced sell. They're going to make them sell it to an American entity and then. Which I think, I bet Google and Apple will get in that. And I, and I bet they'll still allow China to have some type of like 49% interest, just not a controlling interest or something like that. As, well, the, whole, the win for a politician would be we control the data. Right. That's the win. Because that's, that's the only thing they care about. All they care about is power. Big head, the bad, two big headlines this week. Uh, one was uh, another tragic shooting of the in Nashville where the transvestite girl walked into a Christian school and killed six people. Um, happens too often. Um, what I took away from that report, however, was that there's 159 mass shootings this year, which made me think, wait a second, 159 in 90 days. You know, I, that, that's almost two a day. Yeah. So what are you talking about? So I did a little research on what's a mass shooting. How do you define a mass shooting? Turns out that a mass shooting, and this is only important because you hear it on the news so often, a mass shooting is any event where three or more people are shot or killed. Three or more people shot or killed. So if there's a bar fight at 1 a.m. in anywhere USA and a gun comes out and three people are shot, that's a mass shooting. And that happens pretty often. That seems like that would happen every weekend. So that's how you end up getting to a day. Yeah, and that's why they don't talk about ones like that. They talk about the school shootings. Well, they talk about, you know, but they bring that up. They bring it, well, that's the 159th mass shooting we've had this year. Yeah, but they don't explain that they could be that way. They they could be a gang fight for all they know. It it makes it seem like you're living in a war war zone. Yeah, and And it's also the media trying to pull the heartstrings of people so they can get views. And ratings and all right. that because, like somebody was saying, I mean that happens in Chicago all the time. Shootings like this, yeah, you don't hear like about it because it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't care. But if a shooting like this happens at a school, the media jumps all over it, starts putting their views on it because they know people are going to think, "Oh wow, that could be my kid." 
and then they get scared. So they got to keep tuning in to hear what's going on with the development of it. I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting we do not have a problem because we have a problem. Um, I'm just saying it's sad that it happens like that. It's sad, but there's not 159 of these in 90 days. That's Not of that. Not of school shootings, which they kind of allude to, which is not true. How many mass shootings do you think there are in Chicago every weekend? Probably four. (laughs) There's going to be a few, right? Yeah. Anyway, the, the, New York, the, anywhere, any big city has yeah, that any stuff big city. happen to I mean, Chicago's got Downtown the rep Tucson right now. Tucson has it happen yeah, to him. Any big city. Uh, the uh, the other big story was was Trump on on Thursday. This ridiculous, uh, and I don't care how you feel about Trump. You know, no, this is just BS because now it's opened the can of worms where all politicians are going to try and prosecute any politician for anything because how many politicians have paid hush money? I mean, come on, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and. I don't, I don't agree with, like, it doesn't matter what it was. It's just the fact that they're doing this, and you know that they were going to do this. They were going to find something, anything, to indict Trump because they've said it from day one. And they finally found something that they could based on the way it was classified in the payment to Cohen uh, from the Trump organization. It was it, Legal expenses was how they, pay, uh, how they formed it on their uh, taxes or whatever. The way they put this whole thing together, <laughs> and, and again uh, – uh, we could make a whole show out of this, and I'm not going to do that. We're just going to mention it briefly here. But uh, this is the way they put this together would be like driving to Ajo by way of Flagstaff. I mean, that's how they put this. It's just so convoluted, and, and it's just got no well, – it, it, no, it seems like it has no, no chance in hell to, to proceed. It just doesn't uh, get a good precedence for going forward, just like when the Democrats said it was election fraud back in 2016. That opened the can of worms for now. Every election is apparently election fraud. Mm-hmm. On either side, whatever it is, now you're going to have that. You're going to have politicians prosecuting politicians nonstop now because they can get away with it. Well, it's only fraud if you lose. <laughs> yeah, right. And that is that what we figured out? Apparently, but I'm just saying it, it. Oh, it's not a good path that they're trying to go down because they hate Trump so much. No, Thursday was a dark day uh, for America, and I suspect it's the beginning of many dark days. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I'm, I'm keep it even. I'm really but sad. That's what it is. Also, you got to keep it even. I mean, if you're going to do that, hold them all accountable. But I mean, it's tit for tat now, right? I mean, and it's, it's always going to be now. Now they're going to call. Now they're going to call the, the attorney general up to Washington and grill him. Then they're going to call. Yeah, it's just it's here he we said go. From day one, if it's he got just, elected, he was doing this. He did. That was what he ran. Was just, on. You that, run on that. They can't have hold this one hundred percent. How do you run on that? Presence. I mean, how do you? That's your primary. And then because he, he's going to win, and he did win, and he did do it. So at least he held to what he ran for. But yeah. it's crap what he ran for. It's just it's, it's disgusting. Anyway, we we understand that uh, news stories out there were disgusted by it. For a number of reasons that we, we don't need to go into here. Oil had a heck of a week, and we go keep going back and forth between 70 and 80, Todd. It yeah. won't get to 80. It, it gets to like 76 from what I saw. Yeah. yeah, I see a Fibonacci level at 76. So I'll be really interested to see if it can get above that level. But like you said, it's been in that range for a while, so I suspect it continues to be in that range and kind of comes back down and then maybe comes back up again. You know, well, it broke to a to a, a low for the year uh, right, last week in yeah. the in the 65, right? Did it hit 65? To, even I think it went down to 64. But yeah, it's unbelievable. Gold uh, gold continues to be strong, although this week it was down 16 bucks, but. Uh, gold did hit two thousand dollars an ounce. Uh, is benefiting from the weaker dollar. Yeah, we're um, getting more and more questions about should we buy gold? Do we think it's a good idea to buy gold? Should we buy gold outright? Should we buy the gold funds? Anything like that? We're getting a lot more questions like it. that. Well, it's at the it's at the all time high. Isn't that where you should buy? Well, now the commercial <laughs> the commercials are out there. Of course, going crazy. Of well, course, my, always is like my this. idea is I don't get it from a practical standpoint. No, like everyone's always like it. Gold's great if the world goes 
um, to like an apocalypse or something. But even if it went to an apocalypse, how are you going to pay for something in gold? Who's going to value that gold? There's right. no institution to value your gold. Right. Right. So it's at a that piece point, of mind. it's like when people yeah. were buying toilet paper and COVID. Yes. It's a peace of mind thing. You hoard it. Yeah. I mean, if really you hoard gold right now with the idea of hoarding gold now. Yeah. You got a lot of money, but like you said, if there's no one to value it, it's useless. Right. I mean, in an apocalypse, the real currency is ammo and food. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. It's not. It's, That's why I always tell people, you, all you need is a gun and a cow. Gold is going to be useless. You can't eat it. You can't use it. I mean, you can melt it down for a bullet, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. But you'd have gold bullets. I guess well, really yeah, expensive. You have to, you know? I thought it was gold bullion. Oh, <laughs> not go. gold bullets. <laughs> Treasury yields. Uh, that, that, interestingly, that spread widened again, Todd. Yeah. That I was, we were going to talk about that because the spread widening, I think, is a, a bad sign. I don't think it's a good sign. I think it's I think it's a negative. Yeah, you, uh, we saw the uh, this this is the spread between the two year treasury and the ten year treasury. It had gotten to a hundred basis points or one full percent, and then last week it collapsed to thirty basis points. This week we're at uh, sixty basis points again. That's a huge move. That's a that's a, that's a, that's a, that a huge move. Uh, oh. B- Bitcoin gained two percent on the week. It closed at the highest level since the collapse back in June of twenty two. But it, this Bitcoin has been right around trading around this 28,400 number. And the reason being is there's a Fibonacci level right there. And it's having real trouble getting above it. Explain, I, explain Fibonacci. To, just for the people who don't know, a, a Fibonacci retracement is a retracement from uh, a, spe- a specific period. So if we're talking five years, the all-time high in that five-year period and to the all-time low of that five-year period. So it's a technical. It's, it's a, a technical it's indicator. It's a chart thing. It's a chart thing. It's a it, essentially shows you levels of where you can have support or resistance to a, a, a price appreciation or price deceleration. Sure. And okay. it's just one guide in trying to figure out why yeah. a commodity or a stock is doing something. Just another tool. Right. right? Exactly. And what you've seen is it's had real trouble get real significant movement above that 28,500 area right there. So, and, and again, you're seeing like you said, with the S&P 500 and all these other risk-related assets, we've had a real good run here. And it makes sense that we should see some type of pullback because we've seen a lot of resistance around that 4,100 level, other risk-related assets. I suspect a pullback with Bitcoin here as well as with the overall market. I I don't think this is the time to be loaded in on the new Bitcoin bull market. No, and I don't think we uh, continue to play defense on the market. Again, now we have our core portfolio. We we uh, talk about this all the time about how we continue to hold our core portfolio. So as the market was rallying over the last three weeks, our clients did really well. Uh, if the market declines, we have short-term fixed income. If the client, if the market declines, we have some inverse funds. So we're not all in by any way, shape, or form. We continue to play defense. We think that is the proper allocation over the next three to six months. And uh, we're going to continue to go down that road. And we and you would you want to talk a little bit how we are playing the defense? Uh, let's just we're coming up on a break here. Uh, I, I remember we Todd, you and I sat here last week. Dylan was out of town, and uh, and we said, you know, if if this banking crisis were to go away, this market wants to go at least a hundred points higher. And guess what? The market went up this week, Todd, hundred points. And, it, and again, it's because of uh, because of a uh, uh, calming of the fear of the, uh, this banking crisis, and it was it's like an earthquake. There's going to be some aftershocks. We're not done with this, banking. right? But there's a lot of money on the sidelines, right? So if you have money. some good news, they're going to take it. Yep. 
And I, I think that 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 banking thing is number one. Number two is is this thinking, and I, I'm not on board that interest rates are going to be coming down. That we've we've and we may have seen the peak. I don't know. We may have seen the peak, but I don't think interest rates are going to be plummeting anytime soon. But uh, they are reaching levels that are more economically more palatable and give us a better chance of uh, of that soft landing that we all would like to see. Uh, we appreciate you listening to us on this Sunday morning. We will be back right after this break. Say it's only a paper Welcome back to the Money Matters Show. My name is Todd Glick. I'm here with Dave Sherwood and Dylan Greenberg. And with all this market turmoil, people want to know, how are we playing defense? How are we protecting the portfolio? And uh, one of the things we did is we have an, an over-allocation to cash compared to our normal levels of cash. Right, Dave? Absolutely. Then second thing we've done is we've put a 5% position for all of our clients' accounts into a, a fund, an instrument called um, SDS. And what this stands for- Sam is, David Sam. Sam David Sam. The, it's an inverse fund to the S&P 500 two times, which means if the S&P goes down one point, this fund will go up two points, right. theoretically. Okay? So if you have a 5% position, you're really protecting 10% of the portfolio. So if the market's going down, we're, we have 10% actually going up, protecting against the losses of the portfolio. So those are just a couple of ways that we're able to defend or buy insurance on the portfolio, one way with cash, one way with the inverse fund. And then the idea is when it comes back down, we take that money and then go into the market when we feel it's the time to do so. Yeah, and with that, we didn't buy the 5% inverse all at once. We gradually built that position over the last few months kind of feeling out the market thinking is something going to change or if we believe that it will be like kind of maybe the recession coming in the next few months. So it was over a period of time we built that position. When we saw 44,000, 4,100, 4,200, we saw that we kept adding to it because we're like, if it comes back down to the bottom that we think it might hit around, we'll have it there. And then with the cash, yeah, I mean, we have the cash on the sideline, but right now you got money markets paying 4.5%, 4 5%. So we put the money in there in the meantime, so we're not just sitting there earning nothing. It earns something at least, but we're also, because we're going to put it there, and we're not trying to be rash with our decisions. Like if the market drops 100 points on Monday, we're not going to all of a sudden jump all in and think it's the perfect time to buy. So we're being patient, and I think patience wins this game right now. Absolutely. And we had, with all these banking crises, a lot of people calling us and asking, you know, how much insurance does Greenberg Financial have for their deposits? Great question. And the answer is a lot. <laughs> more than you need. More than you need, more than you can get at the bank. More than you can sure. imagine. Yes. And um, to, to be, just to put the number out there, it's around $100 million per account. Maximum. If you got Maximum. over $100 million, you might want to try yeah. somebody else. <laughs> Diversify at that point. Diversify, yeah. $100 million with us, and then the other yeah. go somewhere else. <laughs> which is, I, I still can't believe it. It's, it's an incredible number. The way RBC, which is our custodian, and just for people who don't know what custodian means, that's the institution that holds the actual stock certificates that we trade. Obviously, Greenberg Financial is the one who actually making the trade decisions, but someone else has to actually make the account statements, hold the securities, things like that. Sure. That's who our custodian is, RBC. Well, RBC, they have additional insurance through SIPC, S-I-P-C, who they bought additional $99,500,000 of additional coverage on top of the original 
uh, minimum that is around five hundred thousand dollars. If you go anywhere else, you, you if you have a brokerage account, it's five hundred thousand dollars. That's that's the minimum. At and seven. other brokerage firms may do the same thing, and I, they may. We're not saying they don't. Yeah, right. But here at RBC, you definitely, if you have an account, you're insured up to a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. And there's been a lot of questions about insurance, and uh, uh, the SIPC was was formed in 1970, uh, formed by Congress in 1970 because uh, they could see a need for uh, some form of insurance. Um, they, since they formed it, $3.1 billion uh, has, been, uh, has been put into the fund, and, and it's made possible the recovery of $141.8 billion in assets for 773,000 investors. Wow. So 773,000 investors have been protected by the SIPC. It was created by the government, but it's not a government. It is entity. not. It's solely on its own. And you know, like, I mean, it was created by the government. You think it's going to be a huge entity. How many employees do you think they have? As of the latest update I saw was 2017. SIPC? Yeah. Just yeah. guess how many employees. Not a clue. 11. 39. Wow. 39. <laughs> I thought it would be way more. Yeah. Knowing what it does. Yeah. But it's wow. not that big. Well, they do well, and it's good for the it, client. The same thing with FDIC, right? That's also a corporation sure. set up by the government. But it's the same thing. It's just one's for deposits and one's for securities. Right, but FDIC is government guaranteed, and SIPC is a nonprofit. Yeah, but There's FDIC is a corporation. Though. Right, They're, but it's not. It's, it's backed by the government, and the SIPC is not. The SIPC is a nonprofit membership corporation created under the Security Investors Protection Act. Interesting distinction, but also keep in mind, if you have treasuries, not only are you insured by the SIPC, but you're also insured by the full faith and credit of the United States government. And Dylan, you mentioned something that's really important, and, and, and Todd, you mentioned that we have, have uh, more cash than we have probably have ever had. I agree. Probably the highest level of cash we've ever had. And the only reason we're able to do that is because we have some money market funds that are paying 4.5%. Yeah. I mean, so we're giving up almost nothing uh, to, to be in a risk-free money market fund. The other thing you said, just for clarification, f- we have a 5% position in the SDS in the Sam David Sam. I frequently say we have 10% protection. Remember, Sam David Sam is two times the S&P 500 to the downside. So five becomes 10. Had a, had a really fun appointment uh, uh, this week, this past week. Um, lovely guy came in with his friend and, and uh, uh, he, he's, a, he's a longtime radio show listener. Well, let's, let's call him Frank uh, because that's his name. Um, and he, it, we, we had a great meeting, had, had, a lot, had, had a lot of fun. And he, say, he said, now, I don't want you talking about me on the radio. <laughs> yeah, because oftentimes things that happen during the week, we'll, we'll talk about those things because they're real life that was a current event situation. Show. I mean, we don't talk about every week. give us people's names and right. addresses and what they're doing. Uh, but it was, I thought it was kind of funny that, uh, that he said that, uh, don't, I don't want to hear you talking about me on the radio. And then he laughed. <laughs> I think the, he's a radio listener. So, Frank... I'm not talking about you on the radio, okay? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I enjoyed our meeting, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, looks like I saw an interesting uh, chart here that hedge funds are most notably overweight Google, Meta, Amazon, and Netflix, while underweight Apple, Tesla, and NVIDIA. Hmm. Any thoughts I on could that? See, I could see being underweight NVIDIA. I don't know how long they've been it, but, I mean, NVIDIA had the first run-up. Out of all these, I mean, it just took off. Like a spaceship. Yeah, so I could see if they took some profit from there and now they're underweight. 
and they're going higher. I'm shocked. I mean, Meta makes sense too, but Apple, I'm kind of shocked. That's been having a nice rally. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Google and Amazon make sense because they've kind they're of been lower. lagging. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I agree with it. I that makes sense to me, really. And, and I think that a lot of the, the how what time frame what is that like year to date or it lo- it looks like this chart was uh, really talking about like February. Yeah, so I mean that makes sense. Once they heard about TikTok, they go overweight Meta. Then you have the run up in Nvidia in the last couple months. You're going to take some profit and go underweight. Right. Apple or Apple is the only one that I'm kind of shocked about because it wasn't doing anything really. But Google and Amazon were both under a hundred dollars for those that time period. So you're going to make sense move money into there if you're tech oriented. Yeah, I mean hedge funds are definitely going big into tech right now. Well, and especially so say TikTok does get banned or whatever, you're going to force sale. It's going to be Google, Amazon, Apple are going to be the big players. I know Walmart wants to do it, but I don't think they're going to outbid a big tech company like that who isn't in that because they could just take, they can start competing with Meta in a whole different also, way. Also, who, what kind of personnel would, they have to ha- hire so many new people. Like what kind of personnel could they just say, hey, stop working on Walmart They might just have a huge cash TikTok. pile and they're like, screw it. Well, I know, but who's going to service the TikTok, right? You have to hire employees. No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. They just... I don't know. They would have to hire a bunch, but then right. they have such a big cash pile. They're seeing it being yeah. economically prudent. I don't feel like anyone at this point in this economic cycle wants to make a big acquisition like that. I think Apple just has the most cash on the sidelines, so they could. Yeah. They, I mean, they could just from, just that'd be that. their first thing into social media really too, which would exactly. be an interesting business channel. They open up. And then you can do. see Amazon cause Amazon's always trying to get into anything and everything. They just right. throw their hat in anything. See if it yeah. works. And speaking of Amazon, I just was thinking about this. How is their pharmaceutical doing? Not you well. You haven't heard a lot not, about not it. Not well. No, not which well. Which is probably why you haven't heard a lot Yeah, not well. It. They're having to, to fund, put and more money in so there. You're hearing more than to me. I would think that would be killing it for I know, right? With their same-day delivery and everything. And it, the ease of doing it on your phone. And people do the, the, the prescription RX app all the time. And I've got my wife and I have a total of three prescriptions. Okay. Right? And and I'm, I'm in Walgreens a couple times a week anyway for just whatever you know the toilet paper or soda or whatever i'm there anyway so it's, it's, it's really easy to pick well, up the prescriptions yeah and i mean people might be setting their ways They're like i don't want to change my subscription like you're when you do things dave you're setting your way so you go to walgreens sure. you're like i'm gonna get my toilet paper i'm gonna get my prescriptions and go home right. so, you're and not gonna you, switch it up for just right. for what and a lot of those are on auto refill todd exactly okay. and so the, you, you just have to you have to screw up everything to get on amazon and it's if it can them. keep running and new people needs prescriptions and then like years coming, then they might choose Amazon to pick for the first time. But to get somebody to switch, it might be a little difficult. The only way you get people to switch is cheaper prices, which they could definitely achieve if they get the, the right generic drug. On. Well, and I, you know, I'm a Medicare Advantage guy and all my prescriptions are free. Yeah. So you can't so you give that. me a better price, right? Right. That's a good point. I don't know. If I switch over there, will they be free there? You know, speaking of Walgreens though, we've had um, a couple of different clients who, who used to work for Walgreens and it, that business model seems to be in trouble in the long term. It is. They're struggling. Well, in Tucson alone, we see Walgreens going out of business all the time. I don't see CVS going out of business. There's a lot fewer. Why, why do you think there's a difference? I can't tell you because up in Phoenix, there's Walgreens. But okay, I just noticed yeah. going around town, the ones that are out of business are Walgreens buildings. Huh. And then CVS opens new ones. The, they're, they're, both, they're both having a hard time keeping pharmacists. Yeah. That's really been a, a difficult. And Walmart's been picking them up. That's what I heard. Walmart's really? been a- a having a lo- very large signing bonuses. Mm. Uh, I guess if you're willing to pay enough, right? You, right. There you, you go. Know, exactly. You will have no problem with pharmacists. Yeah. <laughs> but pharmacists and, and as well as store employees. 
Yeah. Just, just a regular employee like everybody else is having a problem with, right? Well, I mean, we, we saw this a while back with nurses as well, and they're, the traveling nurses are just making a lot of money now. Oh, they're well. killing yeah, the, it. The stock, this, the stock is the, for the company that does that isn't doing that well. We'll be back <laughs> right after this break. Welcome back. You listen to the last part of the first hour. I'm Dylan Greenberg. I'm here with Todd Glick and Dave Sherwood. The last part of the first hour? Yeah. Okay, I got it. Oh, you understand it? It's a lot of words, isn't it? But, a lot of brain power. Yeah, no, we've been talking about a lot going on in the markets. I mean, obviously last week we had the big news with Trump and all those different things. The markets were good, though. They had a nice rally into the end of the quarter, so we actually had a positive quarter, which is very nice after the February and the bank debacles and everything like that. But one thing I did see last week was about Social Security and the depletion of it is expected a year earlier now after the trustees did their whole data research. 2034, they're expecting it to no longer be able to 100% cover the people who need it. Right now, we have 67 million Americans on it, and I don't know what the number is going to be then, but they're saying once 2034 hits, it's going to be max 80% of people can get their uh, their money and everything they need. And that's everything. That's, uh, what is this, the retirement, disability, and family benefits. And it's because what, when they do the data research and all that, they had a factor in inflation. So last year was the COLA, the the whole increase from Social Security because of the high inflation. Uh, heard it, and it brought it down another year. Because they're projecting that out. Exactly. Which doesn't it, necessarily mean we're going to expect that. I mean, it could change. Yeah. But it, it like but from 2035 to 2034, it's really not a big difference. But the one year in high inflation in that last year was the increase in the Social Security added that. So it got back to a year shorter. Yeah, that makes sense. But, I mean, that's why we go back and forth. That's why we always say, like, people our age in their 20s and their 30s don't count on Social Security being your sole source of income during retirement. It's like if you got the time, you got to put the retirement into your own hands. And that's why we always harp on young kids starting a Roth IRA, starting any kind of IRA retirement plan. If you're going with your four, if you just started your first job, open the 401K, at least put in what they match. So then you can get that money and the extra money the company will match you. And if you can do more, do the Roth IRA. It'll be tax-free to you when you retire. And you put your retirement into your own hands. And that's what we want to harp. We just want the the harp on that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important to understand the power of long-term compounding. I mean, just waiting 10 extra years, even if you try to double your deposits 10 years later, it does not mean you're going to be able to catch up. No. It's it's just not possible. And at that time, it's not like all of a sudden you might not be making just loads more than you were in your 30s right. but you're gonna have to put more away you're gonna have to double what you're and people just always to love same. to say that oh when i make more i'll put more away yeah but oh, guess yeah. what but like, if when you, you build, make more you spend more you do build the habit to put it away and then you're not gonna have the habit that you spend your every ch- paycheck right i mean if you can't put five percent away when you're making thirty thousand you're not putting you're not gonna put five percent away when you're making three hundred thousand this is yeah it's the same idea it's your habits at the end of the day and if you got good saving habits if you can live within your means You'll be all right during retirement. If you can't, then you got to change something right now. And that's why we like looking at the financial plan that we always talk about because it brings in all of those aspects. It brings in your expenses, your retirement accounts, any debt that you have. Taxes. Taxes and it, your age. And, I mean, it's a little different if you're doing the plan in your 30s because, obviously, a lot's going to change until you get to your 60s. With You might buy a house. You might have a family and all that, different things. But we can update it at any time to show the diff- how it can alter your financial plan. But the idea is that you get everything under one roof in one showing of the financial plan. And it puts a lot of people's minds at ease that they are doing what they should be doing. 99% of people, 
are doing what they should be doing to live the retirement that they want. And they leave it. They leave the meeting a lot more relaxed. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really interesting with that social security because, you know, by 2033 new 401ks are going to have a 10% um, automatic deposit. And this is why it's going to mandatory. And that's because they're expecting social security to not be there. I don't want to scare people listening. That's not for old 401ks. I'm talking about new 401ks that are created after 2023. So for the 2023 or later or later created this year, this year or later. Yeah. That's those are the ones that are going to have that gradual increase. Uh, the old ones they they get grandfathered in, but again, that's why they're doing it. Like we've been telling you, that they're doing this because they they know there's going to be a time, and I, I suspect the federal government will fund a, a portion of Social Security f- to a point. Uh, they will add it to their debt ceiling, you know, budget that they do every year, and uh, they, you know it's not going to go away at twenty thirty four. No, but I no. think it will gradually decrease as. They put more and more of the burden on us. No, that's what I'm saying. I, they're expecting in 2034 to be only able to pay 80 percent of people, right? And then that gradually so goes. So the down. federal government would probably do the other 20 percent. Just yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, you think it's uh, going to be difficult getting people off of TikTok? Try getting them off of Social Security. Oh yeah, that's, try taking one penny. That's how you get of my money. Just I mean, try it. Did you see what happened in France? Yes. They yes. changed the, the 62 the to 64. Yeah, 62 to 64. And they almost let the entire country on fire. I know. It's unbelievable. They did not want to work until they're you 64. They're not mess with us Americans. They do not want to work until they're 64. Hey, one thing that I've noticed about the market this year that's significant. Um, last year, we talked a lot about value stocks. Those would be the uh, uh, Procter & Gamble's, uh, uh, Altria, Johnson Johnson, uh, Altria, AT&T. IBM's of the world. The higher dividend the paying stocks. stocks. The boring stocks, yep. right? And last year, with the S and P five hundred down about twenty percent, most of those uh, ETFs that that featured those stocks were up. I noticed last week when I was doing a, a, a survey of, of accounts that most of those ETFs this year are down five percent. The market up seven percent today, and, and a lot of those value are down five percent because what's happening? People are selling the value names to try to get more risk. Yeah, and one of the tech things, stocks. yeah. One of the things I noticed uh, today is that the uh, VIX, now the VIX is a uh, indicator of fear. They call it the fear index, V-I-X. Um, you can't trade the VIX. Uh, you can buy options on the VIX, but you, can, but you can't actually buy the VIX itself. Um, it is a mathematical uh, formula that gives a numerical indicator to fear. And those right are, now, some great words right there. You like that? I love that. Well spoken. Well spoken. Like a politician. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the the VIX or fear index um, as of Friday was near a fifty-two week low. Yeah. Which tells you that there is little or no fear in this market. And you said it right there. The interest rates where interest rates keep climbing, and what also keeps climbing, tech stocks. Mm-hmm. which does not make sense. No. Those two things should not be going to one another. No. And I saw an interesting chart. The correlation between global stocks and bonds reached its highest level since 1997. Interesting. And because normally there should be a negative correlation, right? right? I mean, as interest rates go down, stocks go up. As interest rates go up, stocks go down. But we're not seeing that over the last couple months. they kind of gone together. So really interesting. I don't know what to make of it. Um, but it's, it's not supposed to happen this way. At least that's what the textbooks tell us. No. And I think we're still, we're still possibly 
entering a period of recession. There's still that's still a possibility. Uh, I would say probably sixty percent chance that we go into a recession sometime in the next uh, uh, four to six months. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't have to be a bad one. It just no, no, no. could be a recession. It's just part of the normal economic cycle. But during recessions, what you see is interest rates and stocks both go down. Mm-hmm. That typically happens during a recession. They don't have to go down fifty percent like they did in '08. Doesn't have to be the Great Recession. Doesn't have to be 2020 where it drops 35% in one month. Does not. Considered a recession. Does not. It's and just, yeah. You know, we're already uh, uh, about 15% off of the all-time high on the S&P 500. So if we're going to go down 20 or 25%, well, okay. We go down another 5 or 10. That's kind of what we're thinking uh, is, is the more likely scenario. And it makes sense because as banks tighten their credit, it's going to be harder for companies to keep that earnings higher and we're with, seeing layoffs uh, layoffs are growing every, i think it's going to be more of a profit recession right you, you're going to see the profits of businesses just decline significantly the margins are just going to be squeezed on both ends speaking right. of layoffs did you see disney they finally went through with finally started, started finally. with their layoffs they cut their entire metaverse division. yes yeah, the they're entire done. one. They're just done with it. No, Iger says I'm done. Yeah, that was interesting. Isn't that it? I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, not yeah. They just cut it. They said screw it. We're done. Yeah. So uh, the, and 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 you haven't heard you haven't heard Zuckerberg talk about the metaverse much recently. Well, yeah, because his stock will tank if he does. <laughs> yeah, the stock did tank. It went from three hundred. They're to still 100. investing heavy in it. They believe in it. That's for sure. Yeah, they do. Less so after they I, saw. No, it. yeah, and you see commercials on it now more and more. I think from what I've seen commercials, and they're talking about they're trying to put a new twist on it like because everybody in the beginning is metaverse isn't real what's supposed to be real about it they're like what i don't want to be in a virtual world and so now they're trying to twist it with the commercials they're trying to portray it as it might not be real but you can get real education from it you can use the metaverse to do uh surgeries like practice surgeries stuff like that and kind of get real education in a more real world environment than you would if in a book or maybe like a cadaver i don't know but that's kind of how they're portraying it now it's fake world but real results is how they're saying it augmented reality is what they're kind of seeing here i mean when you're talking about a doctor who could be using digital x-rays while they're working on the patient with just a pair of glasses i mean that's revolutionary technology there's definitely a market for that you ever watch chicago med i i haven't they've got a new machine on there called 2.0 and it's kind of like that okay It, it tells you what you're doing right and wrong as a physician or as a surgeon oh wow yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to have a chat GBT, right? <laughs> that yeah. does you help. I and mean, that's exactly what this is, is AI. This is yeah. the cutting-edge stuff. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's it's in a TV show now, but it's not far off. No. To be in reality. No. And, and not to mention, not only the uh, the students are going to be huge benefactors of virtual reality from an educational standpoint. I mean, could you imagine being able to be with Paul Revere telling the Americans the British are coming in an actual digital form, and it puts it in real-life scenario? I mean, the history lessons it could be incredible. The biology, the, there's so many different things that you can do with virtual reality that's really cool in the long term, but it's it's long term. I bet Paul would have loved to have just dropped an email, huh? <laughs> Shot a phone call over. <laughs> As opposed to running right. I heard Paul Revere wasn't even the real guy that did it. He got stopped by the British, but he owned the papers, so he was the one that actually got to control the papers, but that might be a conspiracy theory. Well, you know, it's like uh, Jim Morrison the Doris said, whoever controls the media controls the minds. There we go. Well, maybe, maybe Paul figured that out long before Jim Morrison figured it out. <laughs> and I'm frankly, don't, knowing Jim Morrison, don't have any idea how he figured that out. <laughs> if you know anything about the doors. <laughs> anyway, we're coming up to the end of the first half 
of the Money Matters show because this was the third segment of the first half, right, Dylan? Yeah. I'm getting very confused. <laughs> well, this, I'm glad you caught on. This is very, confu- this is very confusing. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with the second half of the show, I think, uh, right after this break. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, April 2nd, Money Matters Show, Part 2. There we we are now at the top of the second hour. Top of the second hour. Be there. It's Mark just like a great time. Sounds like a movie deal, doesn't it, right? Be there. Well, you yeah. got the voice. You actually have the voice. To yeah, use the voice yeah, definitely, yeah. I sound like for the, uh, for the IMAX, or what was it? There you go. Back back in the day, they had the IMAX guy, or whoever does the voiceovers for the movies. I could, I could do I that mean, Morgan Freeman is really the best voiceover, I feel like, of I would all say time. so. He's yeah. good. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, good Morgan voice. Freeman's got the I think I do the Ready to Rumble, too. I remember the first oh, time yeah. I did I a... do that. I remember the first time I did a, a radio update. You know, we did the morning updates every day on uh, KNST. And I remember uh, the, the fir- very first time I ever did an update. I'd never done one before. And, of course, you're a little nervous. Cause you, you, right. have, you know, so I get on there and, I'm, and, and, and Dean was on his way in to listen to it <laughs> on the radio. And he goes, you sound just like Ross Perot. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you I probably don't, don't know who Ross Perot is. Not right? a clue. Neither of you? Nope. Neither of you know who Ross Perot is? Nope. Who is okay. It? You know, was, you know, me and Dylan, we got counted down into the new year by Bruce Buffner. You know who that is? By who? The right, ready to rumble guy. Don't know him. Let's okay, get well, ready now, to rumble. He's the boxing oh, sure, guy. Yeah. yeah, he was up in Scottsdale for some reason. Oh, was hotel. he? Yeah, did a whole thing to bring us in the new year. Talk about yeah. making a career out of one line. Yeah, he got a I'm whole... I'm saying I could have that. I could do that. <laughs> I got oh, that absolutely. Voice. oh, are you That's kidding me? You got a booming voice. Yeah, you could put Big him to shame. <laughs> Let's recap the market that... Ty, do you want to recap? Yeah, the Dow Jones was up 3.2 on the week. The S&P was up 3.5. The NASDAQ was up 3.4. The Russell, 2,000, your small cap names, actually led the week 3.8%. And the interesting thing is the equal-weighted S&P 500 was up a lot more than the S&P 500. It was at 4.4%. And what that tells us is that the smaller names in the S&P 500 performed a lot better than the bigger names, which is a little bit of a different trend that we've seen because year-to-date, the S&P 500, the regular, was up 7%, and the equal-weighted was only up 2.4%. So over the last three months, we've seen the bigger names outperform the smaller names, but this week we saw a little bit of a a shift there. And when you look at the, the NASDAQ up 17% for the year. That's the big one. Through the end of March. Uh, up 17% for the year. You look at this and you go, there, that's why. It's tech stocks, right? The S&P 500 up 7%. The equal weighted up 2 So the only thing that could possibly be carrying that forward is is uh, uh, the, the tech stocks. So they, and uh, we've said this before, but just to reiterate, the equal weighted is every one of the 500 stocks is given an equal weight, whereas in the S&P 500 index, it's, it's dollar cost weight, so the bigger companies have more dominance. I want to talk a little bit, Todd, about annuities, and the only reason I want to talk about annuities is because I met with a client last week, and he was I was suggesting things that we were going to do based upon his objectives, um, and he said, what about annuities? And, and in this particular person's case, it didn't fit. And I, I explained to him why it didn't fit. Now, there are a lot of companies in Tucson uh, selling annuities. Um, s- some of them are selling them properly. Some of them are selling them uh, in a manner that uh, eh, would be, not be the way we would go about it, right? Um, there's a lot of uh, advertising that's misleading about annuities, um, 
there are annuities for a certain group of people are fantastic. You know, I, I always like your analogy that what we do here, we're a car, car salesman, but for securities. But in this business as well, there's used car, smells, used car salesmen and good car salesmen, yep. right? Yeah. I think that's what you're kind of alluding yeah, to. Yeah, we're kind of, well, yeah, but we're not salesmen. So it's, well, well at the end of the day, we're, we're fiduciaries. We're fiduciaries. The exactly. analogy there is what we're trying to get across is there's people who want to make the buck for themselves and want to make the buck for the client. Yeah, I think that, that you know there that there are a lot of good people in Tucson doing the right thing as regards to annuities, and there are some that are maybe not. Right. Um, but we use annuities for two primary client types of clients. The first client would be a risk adverse client, someone who does not want to lose money, period. Yeah, and for them, we use something called a fixed index annuity. Right. Now, a fixed index annuity has no downside. You cannot lose money in a fixed index annuity unless the company goes under. Then there's insurance, so whatever. Um, that part, you, your, your upside can be tied to either a fixed rate, uh, a guaranteed 3%, 4%, whatever, or it can be tied to an index like the S&P 500. Right. The bottom line is there's no downside. Now, you wouldn't do that if you weren't, if you weren't extremely risk-adverse. Because there are fees involved, uh, the upside is capped, uh, your performance in a fixed index annuity will not measure up over time to your performance in an equity portfolio. It's just not. Right. And, um, and normally, the reason you go into that would be because it performs slightly better than a treasury. Yeah. It's, right. a, it's a CD alternative. Right. Right. CD alternative. You've got an opportunity. Maybe you can make 6 7 8%, but you can't lose anything. So that would be the first type client that we would use an annuity for the second would be someone who needs guaranteed income that's above what's readily available in the open market and i think we see that type of client more often than the the other one in terms of being able to use it more often and there's a lot of people who've developed a real large nest egg in retirement right through their 401k and those measures and they don't know how to turn that nest egg into income and there are ways that we can do that there's also ways you can guarantee it with an insurance company right and that's what you're talking about here sure and you in the type of an annuity that has what they call an income rider and when you hear that term rider don't it's like uh, on your house you might have a jewelry rider you might have a fine art rider uh, i didn't even know houses had riders an addendum oh absolutely an, uh-huh. an, an addendum that that covers things that are that are only minimally covered in a normal homeowner's oh, policy. Oh, yes, yes. Let's say you had a $500,000 art collection and the maximum insurance in your policy for art was 50 grand. Well, you need to buy a rider. Let's say you have a lot of jewelry, you would buy a rider. A stands for an op- like an option. Essentially an addendum, yeah. right? Uh, and in this case, uh, it would be an income rider. So you're essentially getting a variable annuity and it would have an income rider, the income rider. Let's say, uh, give me an example. Have you seen one recently? I don't want 5.3%. On what age? Uh, above 65. And you can get that for a joint. Above 65? For a joint income. Okay. So then this particular case, that's what, what Todd's talking about, is you put X amount of dollars in there and the insurance company is willing to pay you 5.3% in a monthly check, 5.3% annually in a monthly check for the rest of your life and the rest of your spouse's life. Yeah. And there's even a product that um, in some months where the market goes up, you're actually going to get more money than a 5.3%. Now, that, that's the part that isn't guaranteed. 
the five point three part is the is the guaranteed part. So no matter what, you're going to get that. Uh, that's what you pay, that's what you're paying for. Um, but there's an there's an additional portion on this particular annuity I'm discussing that actually will go up that will increase your monthly payments if the market increases. All right, let's keep it simple. Let's Sorry. keep it. Let's keep Sorry. it vanilla. Now right. you you're getting off into the strawberry there and uh, and well, there's uh, different kinds. You got the rocky road. There's a yeah. different ways. And also, well, I know there are, but we're not going to be talking about exotic ice cream here. We're talking about vanilla. Well, let's talk about the other vanilla, oh, vanilla chocolate. That was mint chocolate chip. Okay. Let, let's talk about the chocolate version, which is the fixed index annuity, which you can also get income rider on. You can. You can, you can get those, but, and, and, and you will get higher rates on your income rider on a fixed index annuity than you will on your variable. That I didn't know. Yes. I didn't know, but it is, I, I think both of those are, are reasonable, realistic, uh, ways for people to justify the purchase of an annuity and say, that's the best for me. Yes. You know, in, in that particular, that's the client that I had come in, uh, late seventies, didn't need income, not risk adverse. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to pay an insurance company, right? To, right. W- w- he needs to pay us, right? And <laughs> that's the great point because we have something called the strategic income model, right? And we can also give you income. Now it's not going to be guaranteed because if we use the word guaranteed, we get in a lot of trouble, right? So we will never say we're going to guarantee you this income, but we can generate income using a multitude of different strategies that we have. Question I hear a lot. What can I expect to return? What can I expect to earn on my money? Right? Cause, cause people are kind of in that bang mentality. Mm-hmm. And so what can I expect to earn on my money? Well, you know, last year you earned minus 12. <laughs> the year before that, you know, yeah. So it's, it's very up and down rule of thumb. I've been doing this for 40 years. Rule of thumb in a, typical balanced or conservative growth account where you have approximately 60% exposure to the stock market and approximately 40% exposure to the bond market. If you would limit your withdrawals to 5% per year, you should be able to keep the principal stable over time. Yeah. And by over time, I mean 10 to 12, 15 year period, long-term period. There's going to be years like last year, which you, you lost money years like the year before that, where you made a good money, but 5% is a really good rule of thumb, uh, to, uh, to take, to withdraw money from your account and have it remain stable. Mm-hmm. I'm often asked that, you know, and there, and the other side of that is, let's say you're listening out there and you say, oh my gosh, you know, we really need more than that. There's nothing that says, the principal has to remain stable. Right. Now, if I've got a million dollars and I need $60,000 a year, I'm taking 6%. So my million dollars is probably going to slowly decline, but I'm guessing that I'll still have some money when I check out. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what our uh, strategic income model program shows. Like you could, it's, it really is difficult to keep the principal steady if you're, going to be withdrawing constant money from it every year but you just need to i mean that's why you saved it up for your whole career right you know, it's not the end of the world in some people's minds they want this number this they want it to stay at this number but it's just in the way the markets are it's, it's pretty impossible to keep it at that number because you could have a year like last year where bonds and stocks go down and now these people that wanted that number are probably not going to see that number again because of what happened last year and how they just were allocated going into that year because they wanted risk going into 2022 but when 2022 ended, they wish they didn't have the risk because they wish they still had the principal with the number in mind that they've had for 10 years. But now they get it out of their head that they don't aren't going to get that number. 
they'll be where they are. They're still going to be well off. They're still going to be be able to take the money that they've been taking and still be fine for the rest of their life. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that those people want more risk to get higher gains, and then they realize that if you take more risk, you can go lower than where you're already at, that you're already upset at. So to get back to where you need, you need to take more risk. Well, hopefully, too. Hopefully, a year like last year is kind of maybe eye-opening for people with risk tolerance that may be varying or not certain because when the markets go down, when the bond market and the stock market go down, you're going to get hammered both ways. If you are just in funds, if you're not in individual (laughs) bonds, you'll get hammered both ways, which is the whole reason to have bond funds is the idea of safer, more conservative returns. Not to be tanked, but it did happen last year. So now all of a sudden, your portfolio dropped 25%. Once in a, once in a great while, we come across someone who has simply gotten to retirement and does not have enough money to live the way that they believe they need to uh, to pay their bills, essentially. Right. And uh, I had a gal like that a couple of years ago, and she was uh, 72 years old. And uh, her mother uh, lived to be 100. Her father lived to be 98. So she said, I'm going to be here for another 30 years. Um, I need to get income from this money. It's the only immediate annuity I've ever done. The immediate annuity, you give the principal to the life insurance company in exchange for a rate of interest that is far above anything you can get in the open market, and that's paid to you monthly for as long as you live. She said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I, I'm going to, I'm going to be here for 30 years. They've figured out they, their life expectancy tables have me 12 to 15 years out. <laughs> she said, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and, and you're referring to immediate annuity in with an income stream, correct? Immediate annuity. You give the annuity to the insurance company. And for that, they pay you a monthly check for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. That's an old exactly. school idea of an annuity. Yes. Right and that, yes. that is what I was referring to as most of the fixed index annuities. The only reason you would do it in income stream is, it would be immediately because immediately they can give you the highest rate compared to a variable annuity with an income stream. That's why they're slightly above different, different. You're talking about again about an income writer. I'm talking about giving the principal of the annuity to the insurance company. You never get that back. Okay. So that's, it's a gone. New, that's annuitization. It's gone. You annuitized but it. You can annuitize existing uh, you can annuitize existing annuities, which were to provide you with a monthly income stream. And that's a very misunderstood statement. Uh, excuse me, term. And I'm not criticizing you. I'm, just, I'm saying most people don't understand. Most people think annuities have to be annuitized. Right. And they don't. They don't. They don't. And so an immediate annuity is, is where you're immediately annuitizing uh, to get the maximum income. She, I'm trying to think at rates were a little lower. Uh, she probably could get more now, but I'll bet it's up around 8% now uh, that a person could get on their money. So if you had $100,000, you know, you essentially could get $8,000 a year for the rest of your life. She's figuring she's got 30 more years. She's going to get two, $240,000 from her $100,000 investment. She's going to draw 240000 If she's right, it's investment. Ganga. Yeah, I mean, for even her. with the fixed index annuities with the income rider, I was seeing rates at around 7%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't checked in a while, but two months ago, that's where they're around. And as much as rates have risen, uh, it, it may be in the nines now uh, uh, for an immediate annuity. Remember, you give the principal of the annuity to the yeah. insurance company. That's not appealing to most people. Yeah, that's what people really who are listening have to understand is there's a difference when you can still access the money if you wanted to, sure. to earns to, you'll never get that again. 
But there are there are certain. I, my point of this whole segment is there are certain instances where annuities make a lot of sense for certain people. We don't think they make sense for most people. Yeah, because most people have a growth objective. Most people, yeah. They, and they can accept some sort of risk. If they're going to do that, why would you pay fees for a reduction in risk that you don't really want to pay for and that is limiting your growth, which is your main objective in the first place? Right. So, again, if people that have, are risk adverse or need need high income, uh, annuities make sense. Annuities make sense. And the Can only you, reason to know is you have to have a plan. Yes, and, and the plan you guys have been doing is just outstanding, seeing people left and right and, and – uh, uh, and making a lot of smiling faces walk out of here. And uh, some of them have become clients and some of them have not. Yep. Again, we don't do this uh, strictly for the purpose of dogging you until you cave and become a client. We do this to, to help. Yeah, we just had a great presentation this week where me and Dylan went to a local business here and we, we set up a, a 401k with them using our partner Vestwell. And uh, we did a... a a really a community education on what a 401k even is, right? A lot of people don't even know what it is, how you can contribute, where it comes from, the money you contribute, how to invest in the 401k, what are the options they have available in the 401k. We are the ones that actually chose the funds that were available in the 401k, so we were able to educate them um, in, in that sense of what their options were. And, and at the end of it, we offered free financial plans. To our surprise, almost every single one took the advantage of it. Sure. Because they want that peace of mind. They want to see where am I, where am I headed? And most of these people, they, they were 10, 15 years, 20 years out of retirement, right? Sure. They weren't at retirement. So it's not just for retirees to do financial plans. It's for people that want to see where they are currently, see if they're doing the right things now. What a great time to be asking those questions. Exactly. You know, we all hear a lot about the, the Ukraine war and the whole thing makes me ill. So I, I, I don't like to talk about it much. But I did come across an interesting fact last week. You know, Ukrainian soldiers are firing 6,000 artillery shells per day. I believe it. 6,000 per day. Now, that's, and, and that's one-third of what Russia is firing. Wow. 18,000 artillery shells. Here's the interesting part. The Ukraine fires 6,000 artillery shells a day. You know how many the United States manufactures every month? I like cheated. 30,000? 15,000. Oh. That's what the United States can, can man, manufacture. It's 15,000. They're shooting 6,000 a day, which comes out to more than 15,000 a month, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think they're, they're the only, we're not the only ones supplying them with artillery shells. There's, no, we're not. But we are scrambling trying to get that production up to 70,000 a month, and we're on our way. Uh, Europe is also. 15 to 70? That's a lot. 15 to 70. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that, that's a big increase. That's a yeah, how would you like increase. to be in that business? That's a good business to be in right now. That's, is that, a, that's Raytheon and Michelle, Lockheed Martin. Michelle make it, uh, no, no, this, this is, um, oh, it's, it's the ammo companies, not the rocket companies. These are, these are, these are. I'm trying to think who that would be. Artillery shells that you, you know, you put in your, your artillery guns. Yeah, and it's just so sad because at the end of the day, it's not like the Ukrainians are getting this for free. So pointless. I mean, so they, pointless. even if they win this war, they're going to owe us forever, you know. And it's we're gonna. It's it's not just a terrible thing happening. Over the, the weird part is Europe is is also providing shells, and a, a, a plant recently, an expansion of a plant was stopped because the TikTok facility in that area was using all the available power. <laughs> 
I so they couldn't could, even be. They couldn't expand the shell. Could make that up. The artillery manufacturing company because there's no additional power because the TikTok facility is using all the power that's available. You can't make that up. So instead of Ukrainian soldiers being protected, we're watching cat videos. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just unbelievable. It's like, um, yeah, speaking of that too, Russia and China and Saudi Arabia and Iran are all coming together to stop using the dollar as their primary trading source. They want to use the yuan, or however you say it, uh, it's Chinese yeah, currency. Yeah, and they're uh, and they're slowly Russia and China are the biggest ones. They're slowly lowering their dollar reserves in their central banks and using the yuan as their primary one instead because they want to get it away from the dollar because Russia's mad that we're back in Ukraine. Sure. And China and Russia are mad that we just have, we're at odds with China all the time. And then Saudi Arabia and Iran just jumped in because I think they've done that before. And that's why part of the reason I thought we invaded Iraq, right? Well, China, China, Iran, and uh, Russia, and I, I, get, I get that, right? I get that. Yeah. Um, you know the funniest Saudi thing Arabia about that? Saudi Arabia doesn't make any sense. The funniest thing about all of this Oil. is that they have the, the Chinese yuan, which is what they're all trying to go to, is pegged to the U.S. dollar. Yeah, and it's only become an IMF currency within the last few years. Just like a, a third They're trying rate. to do it because they want to become the world dominance, just like the U.S. is with the dollar. But China's also uh, made, struck a deal with uh, Brazil to trade in their respective currencies, and they're just going to keep it that way. They're going to uh, the whatever. How do you? I don't know how to say the one in Brazil. It's uh, where is it? It's um, Rias and Juan. They're going to just trade in their respective whatever they are. They're going to trade in it. Okay. So there's going to be no backing for that. But China just wants to get away from the dollar, even though they're backed by the dollar. They kind of have to, and that's, also, that's a, probably on China's wish list. Um, they yeah. want to become the number one currency like the dollar that's is because that's happen. how they know how to become yeah. It's not going to happen because they own the treasuries of the United States government yeah. is most of the debt they own. Yeah. Not going not gonna to happen. Michelin is trying to invent new tires. They're, uh, they're coming out with a tire with no square? <laughs> so there's no air in it. So they can't pop it. It's made of fiberglass spokes. And, like, they can bend over so rocks. solid? No, it's like there's air in it. Like, you can go through. It looks like a bicycle uh, wheel. Okay. And it's fiberglass spokes. So when you go through a nail, the nail goes straight through the tire, and it just pops out, and it didn't pop anything. Their goal is to stop having 200 million tires just go to waste every year because of oh, popping that all great. that. That'd be a good one, yeah. They're coming out next year with it. I mean, oh, is Michelin public? I, I don't, don't know. know that, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that I, I know in my car the rear tires are bigger than the front tires, so I can't rotate them. So <laughs> the the sixty thousand mile warranty I have is void because I can't rotate them. So they only go thirty thousand miles. Huh? They they got you on that one. Got me. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure who, who's winning on that one, but it's not me. <laughs> it's not you. <laughs> I know that. For, you know, remember I told you on the way back from California, I saw this car transport. That have had seven brand new cars on it, and they were all Lucids. Yeah. Did you see what happened last week? No. They laid off twenty percent of their workers due to sagging demand. Maybe because I was only seven cars were on that truck, not thirty. <laughs> Maybe this is the seven that they made this year. <laughs> but I, I, I did say I did say last week that one of the risks, and I I believe this, and I have believed this from the get go, one of the risks of buying an uh, electric vehicle is that the company goes under. I think that's what, what keeps Tesla in a, in a pretty good spot. And I think that's where if you're going to look at, look at electric vehicles, you want to stay with Chevy and Ford. And I think just get, get off in the ditch with some of these Fisker and 
yeah. Lucid and some of these others. I don't know. That's a roll. That's a roll of the dice there. What if you bought a $180,000 Lucid and then the company closes? That's a problem. It is. Ford, though, they're obviously they're st- one of the biggest investors in this EV trend. They invested another $4.5 billion into a nickel plant in Indonesia to supply its Kentucky-built batteries. Oh. Where, yeah, in Kentucky where they build the batteries. And they're trying to – they invested $4.5 billion so they can control the direct source of where the nickel comes from. Because you know, and you know those mines because they want to do it because of ESG. Sure. Because those mines, obviously, they don't have the human working conditions and same uh, workforce or whatever it is um, over there, and they want to be able to control that because they're all about ESG now, which I don't know about you, but that might hurt their clientele, like people buying their trucks because their clientele is more just down home America, you know? Yeah, it, it is. It is. The whole thing is just fascinating, that, uh, and it, we'll see where it goes. We appreciate you joining us on this Sunday morning. We've got two more segments. A bunch of information. We'll be back right after this break. Say it's only a paper Welcome back to the Money Matters Show. My name is Todd Glick. I'm here with Dave Sherwood and Dylan Greenberg. Talked about it a little bit, 3.2% on the Dow, 3.5% on the S&P, 3.4% on the NASDAQ. NASDAQ continues to lead the way this year, up 17% year-to-date. A lot of that has to do with people going away from value, going into risk. Yep. Saw that it's making Bitcoin. back about half of what it lost last year already in the first quarter. Isn't that amazing? Yep. It comes it back quick. Pretty, when it, it comes back much. quick, it comes back. You know? And it goes down quick. It's, uh, it's just NVIDIA. Look at him. I mean, NASDAQ, oh. or what's it called? Microsoft's almost at 300 again. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Don, you're, a big, you're a big Lyft customer, right? I am a big Lyft. I saw they got a, a new CEO. The stock has been a disaster. Yeah, it's down been. 75% in the last 12 months, while their rival Uber is only down 11%. But the stock gets this. The stock did get a lift on Tuesday. How long? There you go. You've like been that? waiting since Tuesday to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Been. Their current CEO and co-founder will step away from the business and turn the reins over to former Amazon executive David Risher. Uh, perfect job, perfect job. But this is, no matter what who you are, this is the perfect job. There's absolutely nothing he could do that would be worse than what's been done. Yeah, I mean they've they've driven this car down into the gravel pit and it's half buried, and now they're saying, okay, can you get it out? Well, yeah, I, I'll How many give it other a try. Metaphors do you have for this company? I was gonna say. What? How many other metaphors do you have for this company? Well, I could come up with a few. <laughs> home prices. We watch home prices closely. Because of the CPI component, uh, CPI, more than 40% of CPI is housing. Housing being uh, home prices as well as rents. So we watch both of them. Um, they've been falling for seven straight months. Uh, still on average, about 2.5% higher than a year ago, which I was surprised to, uh, surprised to see. Biggest drop year over year, San Francisco, down 7.6%. Seattle down 5 Phoenix one of the hottest markets since the pandemic, just flat over the last 12 months. They haven't gone down. Well, I can tell you firsthand experience. Uh, looking at my home price, it peaked in June, in July, uh, in June, uh, in Phoenix. And it has now gone down 14% from that all-time high. So they're saying year over year, it's unchanged. So you must have a, a undesirable house. Uh, or it's in Tempe, and it went up a lot more. Well, maybe because others. of their proximity day issue. Yeah, but the reason Tempe goes up more than the others is there's no place to build in Tempe. 
So no, I'm saying it dropped 14% because of its proximity to ASU. No, it dropped Nobody 14% it because it went up so high because everyone wanted to be If it was by U of A, it would probably go up 14%. Way more. No, if I it was would, by U of so. A, it would have, it would have went down big time after they lost to Princeton, but, you know. Um, nah, still uh, better school. Uh, U of a. Ouch, yeah. ouch, <laughs> ouch. Tucson over Phoenix. Ouch, that hurts. We talked about Walgreens in an earlier segment, uh-huh. and, and uh, their shares are down 26% in the last 12 months. Uh, again, having a hell of a time finding pharmacists and, and just people to work in the store. Get this, 80% of their stores are working at some abbreviated level of hours. And the Walgreens by my place, uh, I'll go up there, and sometimes the pharmacy's <laughs> just closed. Why is it closed? Oh, the pharmacist didn't come in today. Pharmacist is sick. Really? I've talked to not one but multiple pharmacists, and they all said they have they're working more than they ever have in their entire career. Oh, they can work as much as they want. No, they're saying that they have to work. They're just the the bit the demand for their. Oh no, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I understand. And they're just saying it's absolutely unfeasible for them to continue this level of output without burning out. And a lot of them, I feel like, are hitting that point where they're just like, "I'm calling in sick. I just physically can't do it anymore." Like the nurses during the pandemic. Right. I don't think I want to be a nurse anymore. Yeah. Uh, this this is not what I what I signed up for. Did you see Alibaba? Alibaba's uh, you know we've we've made no secret about our um, dislike of Chinese equities primarily because of transparency. Yep. You don't really know what you're getting, so we've stayed clear uh, of China. And uh, fortunately, when the Chinese uh, equity market collapsed, we weren't there. Um, it has come back strong. Uh, we have not been there, uh, but Alibaba is one of the names that uh, U.S. investors used to really love, and it hit an eight-year low in October of last year. Um, it has rallied 50% since then, rallied another 9% on Tuesday. Get this. They're going to break it into six different companies. Six. six different? Six. Yeah. What are, do you know what they are? But No. I didn't. I, I don't didn't know if it came out. One's yeah. like e-commerce. I mean, it really, they're like an Amazon in China. Well, I'm thinking of yeah. Amazon. Can you imagine if Amazon decided to break themselves up? Right. It would How be, many pieces would that be? Well, yeah, I, true. It, AWS, right? Their shopping business. Then you have me. Look, I'm not asking you specifically. Prime. How many? Todd, you don't need to name them. I could do it right now. Oh, stop it. Oh, you, oh so you, you're now you're going to Jack get, Moss still alive, by the way? Yeah, and yeah he's back in China now. He is okay. I haven't heard anything on him since that. I saw an article on him last week. He's back in China. Uh, and it was uh, making a speech before some economics class. That's good. Yeah. So, but he been, he has been out of the country for many months. Well, same with uh, GE, right? They, they've split off into three different right. companies, right? So right. there's precedent, and that was a good move. And I've heard other analysts talk about Alibaba split into six different companies, saying it's a really good move for what they're trying to accomplish. Well, then, uh, then we'll have to wait for... Uh, um, Amazon to do their split. In the- yeah, speaking of Amazon, though, aren't they trying to buy AMC? I saw rumors of that, and they, you know, that they had rumors of that in 2020, and then they they had rumors again because AMC popped like five percent on Wednesday because there was rumors of it. I, I doubt it. I don't. I mean, the only what, what you changed AMC movie theaters into warehouses, maybe maybe that's a good play for them, but I, I just don't see the. <laughs> there the value. you go. I like that. <laughs> just gut them, right? right. <laughs> just close them all down and gut them. Yeah. The. Uh, uh, speaking of closing down and gutting, the Best Buy looks like they're just right on the edge of going out. Best Buy, huh? 
Not Best Buy, I'm sorry. Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed, oh, I was going to okay. say, say no, like, don't, that's don't, that makes a lot more sense. You know, Best Buy, Best Buy symbol is BBY, and right. Bed Bath & Beyond is BBBY. Right, I was going to say, I thought they were doing no. good. <laughs> now, Bed Bath & Beyond looks like they're finally going to cash it in. Uh, yeah. They've got a $300 million stock offering out there that they're trying to sell and not a lot of interest, and I wonder why. They but, try to be a meme stock one more time. You know, and once once the, once the rumors start about a company going under like that, you, that it almost becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, because you can't get people to go in there. You don't want to buy a, a stuff from a company that's not going to be there in case something goes wrong with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially if the same stuff is available at Target or Walmart or you know somewhere else. So they, it just it really was a it's kind of a sad situation actually. That was a good company for a while, but I mean they just couldn't keep up. Buy now, pay later. That was the big thing. Remember, uh, affirmed uh, was the was the darling. that saw its stock go up to the, as high as one hundred and seventy five bucks a share, before plummeting to ten dollars as the economy slowed and delinquencies grew. Tuesday of last week, Apple announced its new Apple Pay Later. It's going to allow users to borrow up to a thousand dollars on their Apple Wallet, but payments are spread over just six weeks. <laughs> Does that really help you out? I mean, if you're, if you're trying to buy something and you don't have the money, are you going to have it? It could, because if you need like a thousand bucks for a water heater immediately, and then you could do it through the next three paychecks. Okay. Pay it back, something like that. Also, right. if I'm trying to buy a new pair of shoes and it's, you know, 250 bucks and I'm like, you know, I don't really want to spend all 250 right now. I'll spend 60 bucks now and then 60 bucks for the next six weeks. So there's some validity to it. I thought the six weeks was like ridiculous. But no, but it makes sense if you put a limit on it. So it gives you like a window. Yeah, kind of something. Maybe like to that. the next paycheck or something. I guess. Yeah. What sixty percent of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Right? So they'll take advantage of that, right? If they live paycheck yeah. to paycheck. Yeah. They're going to want the extra cash flow ability. I guess. I guess. Uh, um, Occidental Petroleum uh, continues to be one of the worst performing energy stocks. It's As trading, Buffett keeps buying. It. Yeah, it's trading at the same price, Todd, that it was sixteen years ago, while Chevron has nearly doubled. But that doesn't stop Warren from continuing to buy hundreds of millions of dollars worth of stock. Is he just trying to buy a majority stake at this point? I don't know. It's got to be close. got to be close. He's been buying it for years. Yeah. But the funny part about it, the the price-earnings ratio for Occidental is about the same as the other oil stocks, and the dividend is actually far less than the other oil companies. He must know something. I don't know. I don't know what he's looking at there, but he's – He's, of course, he's you know one of the best investors in our lifetime. So for me to doubt him is ridiculous. Right. He's obviously seeing something there that uh, we know. You know, Tesla in 2019, Tesla came out and they. You probably have seen the Tesla rooftops. Yeah. Where the entire roof is the solar panel. Yeah. They made out. Of, uh, this is one of the cooler ideas. I thought. I thought. You thought. 2019, Tesla said its goal was to install a thousand solar rooftops. Per week. Uh-huh. All right. They're going to do a thousand solar rooftops per week. At the end of 22, they had installed a total. Now, this is in three years, Dylan, of 1,000. Or excuse me, of 3,000. Total. They wanted to do a thousand a week, <laughs> which I think is 52,000 a year, right? Yeah. Which will be 156,000 over three years. And so far, they've done 3,000. I mean, this company has so many. I wonder why. Unfulfilled promises that I don't know. <laughs> Where the growth is, is it because they can't to. do it, or they people just don't want? Them? I guess people just don't want them. I mean, probably or an affordability issue or whatever. That's probably what it is. I mean, my solar panels was like fifty thousand, and that did not cover the whole roof. Yeah, let alone it being the roof, right? I mean, it's got to be at least a hundred thousand. You think something. it would be pretty pricey? 
I know that uh, in 2022, they did not average 1,000 per week, Todd. They averaged 21. Yeah, and that, that's that's always been my problem with Tesla is they have unfulfilled promises. This is one example. They came out one investor day. They were like, we're making a robot. How's that coming? We're making a taxi. How's that coming? Oh, we're making a real big semi truck. How's that coming? I mean, they don't fulfill promises. The cyber There's still truck a cyber is the truck one. that hasn't even hit production yet. Yeah, well, that's the stupid truck thing is what, what happened here? I mean, they had the prototype. It's been, what, it. two, three years now? Traded that. It's got to have been two or three years. How much money they raised too off that? That hundred dollars pre-buy. Remember that? Yeah, I wonder why they haven't got that to production yet. Like, what's holding they, it up? The whole Gigafactory in Texas was supposed to be for the Cybertruck. Yeah, and it's not happening. I think they're still building it. I don't know. Um, it's it's, uh, it's uh, the what I the the prototype. If it's anything like the real cars, are really ugly. <laughs> it's disgusting. Disgusting. Um, charging stations. Uh, companies have been doing poorly because there's a tremendous amount of capital outlay, right? And there isn't a lot of revenue. The revenue is slowly coming, but the capital outlay to build these out is just off the charts. Um, company EVGo uh, had a good quarterly report, made uh, some uh, perk up their heads a little bit. We have a position in ChargePoint uh, for some of our clients, so we think there's a, a good future there. And uh, but it is it is one of those businesses where right now the the capital outlay is way. But eventually, you get set up, and then the revenue starts to flow, and and before you know it, you're profitable, and everybody goes. Gee, many questions. Why didn't I buy that stock when it was down there low? So, uh, yep. Charging station stocks. Anyway, we'll be back with the final segment of the Money Matters Show right after this break. Once again, we thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. Welcome back. You're listening to the Money Matters Show. I'm Dylan Greenberg. I'm here with Todd Glick and Dave Sherwood. We're on our last segment. Got a ton to talk about with just the markets going crazy this last month. Well, the whole first quarter, but it really was nice to have the quarter end positively after the turmoil of all the bank fallouts, not knowing exactly what could happen. And there still could be things that could fall out from there in the coming months. You never know. Usually with an earthquake like that, there will be ripples later on, but hopefully they caught it early enough. And just got it under control quick enough. Yeah, the Fed impressed me with uh, how quickly they jumped on that. And, it was and good, yeah. Care of, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then, I mean, you got other things going on. You have the Justice Department is now finally suing Norfolk Southern for that train crash up in uh, Ohio back in February. And the state of Ohio is also suing them for just they want them to pay for all the reparations and the fixing and the cleaning and everything like that. That's interesting because the company said they would do that. I wonder why they they had had to sue them. Well, and then they responded. They're like, we're going to continue doing that. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. I think they just want to say that they sued them, you know, but that is a full lawsuit now, which you kind of would expect (laughs) from what it was. You got these, and then you got, I saw this. You got two Pennsylvania and a Ohio senator, the Democrats, coming together to change the railroad safety laws. Mm. One of them is Fetterman was pictured. I didn't think that guy was doing anything. Well, he's, he's trying to recover from clinical depression in a hospital is what he's doing. So, Walter, he's a Walter Reed. That's what center. I thought. I didn't think he was like out. No, he's not. He's not just, out. So they just throw his picture up there as the second Pennsylvania guy. So. Mm-hmm. Jeez. I know. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Okay, yeah. I didn't think he was out yet. Okay. Kind of reminds me. <laughs> kind of, way, kind of reminds I, me. That guy, that whole situation with him just kind of baffles me. I was telling you guys this morning about the about the gal uh, back in New York that had uh, 
uh, a Buddhist, and she had gone to the store and had seen this really nice Buddha statue yeah. and brought it home. And, and uh, four years, she prayed to this Buddha every day, loved it. And then her grandkids came to visit from California. They go, Grandma, what are you doing with, the, with Shrek on the mantle? So it was, it was actually a statue of Shrek. <laughs> like, that's really funny really okay hey retail uh, you know you look at uh, the economy and you, and retail jumps out at you there have been some struggles in retail but uh, pbh that's the parent of tommy hilfiger and calvin klein uh, they've seen their shares drift about 12 percent lower in the last 12 months which isn't bad for a retailer but they jumped 20 percent on tuesday after the company reported strong results across all their brands and that was followed by lulu lemon lulu's considered one of the strongest retailers their stock roughly unchanged over the last very difficult year jumped 15 percent on wednesday after the company reminded investors why they flocked to the stock most recent quarter was strong guidance was strong same store sales in this environment up 27 percent same store sales oh i'll tell you lululemon long term that's a really interesting stock because i see a lot of demand out of those the women there is but yeah but i mean women are also going away from that for cheaper options because that, other that's companies what are coming up, yeah. Yeah, that's what you find in economics. And, and, you like know, athletics, every, like women are loving that. Now it's cheaper. So PVH and, and Lou, both higher-end retailers, right? And so here's, here's the but. But UBS downgraded shares of most apparel companies from hold to sell, saying they're seeing at least 25% downside as the consumer spending slows down as we go into a, a slower economic period, whether it be recession or just a slowdown. CEO, here's the interesting part. One of the companies they mentioned was Foot Locker as being, as being vulnerable to a 25% further decline. The CEO of Foot Locker, the day before this analyst came out with that report, bought $500,000 worth of his own stock for his own account. So somebody's wrong. UBS says sell this, and the guy, the CEO of Foot Locker is putting five hundred thousand dollars in. I don't know, Todd. I'm thinking I go with the CEO. How about you? Yeah, I also thought it was funny that uh, I saw a couple buy and sell ratings come out of Credit Suisse. I'm like, who's gonna listen to you? Yeah, Credit Suisse. <laughs> I mean, you just had to get bailed out by the Swiss national government. I'm supposed to listen to your your rating? <laughs> you ever wear you ever wear Crocs? The shoes, Crocs. No, but I know. You know, what, yeah, I'm talk- you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people who do. They were they were down there out of business a yep. few years back. Well, you get a couple cool people wearing them. Luke Combs. Luke Combs shows up wearing a pair, and uh, and away they went. That was the first Athletes one. Athletes started wearing them again, yeah, too, I as think, recovery, like rather yeah. than flip-flops and slides. They wear Crocs, and they just blew up again, too. It's, it's amazing. It was it was it went, it went from nothing to $183 a share back in 21. And uh, uh, Luke started uh, started wearing the sho- shoes. He endorsed the shoes. That's what caused it to, to yeah. jump to 183. He was the first one, um, the first celebrity. Because mm-hmm. I thought, what, how did, why is this happening? I was wishing it's a stock. Why is this happening? And I was looking at Luke Holmes. Um, yeah, started wearing them. Started wearing them. Within six months after that, it, it lost two-thirds of its value. But it gained back in a, a, a rallied 43% in the last 12 months, up another 5%. Analyst upgraded the company to a buy saying it's underappreciated. And I think when you, whenever you're looking at something like that or a PVH or a Lulu or a Crocs, be, be cautious about the price-earnings ratio. Be cautious about the growth rate. It's easy to get caught up in these things. And when they decide to pull the rug out from under it, there's just nothing there. Yeah. So it's really, really easy to get. 
Uh, Carnival Cruise Line picked up some some buy recommendations this past week. Uh, they've lost 50% of their value in the last 12 months. They did edge higher on Wednesday after several analysts upgraded to buy, saying the company has ample liquidity and improving margins. So well, and also going into the summertime, that's a big time for them. Yeah. Summer cruises yeah, all, over, I think all over the Caribbean. Your dad was saying that uh, when they went on a cruise a, a few months back that they're just giving everything away. I mean, it's just to, to get you to go. Um, yeah. They're, they're, he said that the deals were, were unbelievable. And I, I think that's why the company's struggling a little bit. They're, they're they getting, offered to, well, they offered a ton of deals coming out of COVID, especially yeah. for people who had rides uh, or booked trips during that had to cancel during COVID. Coming out of it, they just offered them like two or three free trips to come just to get back to show that they're not death traps that everybody thought they were during 2020. You know, we talked a little bit about the banks and how the uh, the crisis, uh, the banking crisis over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, might impact uh, the issuance of credit. And remember last year, one of the top performing Dow stocks of the 30 Dow stocks, one of the top performers was Caterpillar. This year, it's one of the worst performers. Uh, it's been lagging. It's uh, It picked up a third downgrade in the last two weeks as analysts are concerned that the banking crisis is going to cause a meaningful slowdown in new small and medium-sized projects. And that's the kind of, those are the kind of projects that, that get impacted by regional banks being scared to do something are the, the, are the small, small to medium sized projects. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I mean, that's part, partly why probably the Russell 2000 hasn't been doing too well in the last couple of months. I think so. I think so. The, uh, um, Schwab's got caught up in the banking crisis. So they've lost 33% of their value in the last 30 days. Schwab down 33% in the last 30 days. Which is interesting cuz like that's not their main business. No, it's not, but they're the seventh largest bank in the country. That's that's even more interesting. That's probably, that surprised me. I didn't know that. I knew oh, yeah, that they were me. a bank, but I didn't know they were that. Morgan Stanley last week downgraded it. Downgraded it after a 33% decline. Citing wow. it saying it's going to take an extended period of time to recover. Yeah. <laughs> I it can, I mean, but also if all of a sudden, they start dropping interest rates, and it can come back a lot quicker. But. Yeah, um, one of the uh, one of the companies that my wife likes uh, quite a bit is Restoration Hardware. I don't know if they, you, you know about that. It's I a high end furniture retailer. Yep, it was one of the darlings of Wall Street back in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. They went from forty dollars a share to seven hundred and forty dollars a share, <laughs> but it spent most of its time the last six months around two fifty. Um, they've got a new uh, subscription model. Uh, that apparently, and I don't know how you subscribe to a to a furniture store, but apparently, if you subscribe to, the, you get deals. Yeah, so I saw that. I've been on their website, and it's if you're a member, you get like twenty, thirty percent off their furniture. So it's significant. Oh, it's significant. Yeah. You know, uh, another interesting stock was Roblox. Yeah. I mean, Roblox is up twenty one percent in the last month, and I was trying to find a reason why it's up so much, and and really, it's just. The, the trend has resumed on their bookings. The more older users are starting to use it, and older users spend more money than younger users. Um, and, and so really just the, the growth factor in their bookings continue to increase on, on the Roblox. And just for people who don't know what Roblox is, it's a it's basically a digital metaverse um, where people can play games with one another. It's like a community platform. Um, and people can sell and then, Companies buy ads on Roblox, and that's how Roblox makes its money. And Roblox is the engine that runs the internet, right? More or less, no. I 
I wouldn't call it that. Okay, because they're the most popular. Uh, they're the most popular site on the metaverse, right? Right. I wouldn't say they run the internet. Uh, I don't uh, metaverse. Okay. Run the yeah, metaverse, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the internet. I'm sorry, right. I misspoke. Right. Yeah. Run, run the, the metaverse. metaverse. Yeah, I could. I they could seem like they're running the metaverse. Okay, so get run coming down to the end of the show. Todd, what's going on in the market next week? What do you think? Going to uh, up, down, sideways? What do you? Uh, what's your guess? I see a downturn here. Yeah, Dylan. Yeah, my prediction is downturn at the start of the week, but then it could gain a little speed coming into the end. But after this strong month and strong end of the quarter, you could definitely see some profit taking to start the week. We're up to forty one hundred, uh, which is a pretty lofty level in the, in the current environment. We have the uh, fear index. At the lowest level, it's been well, near the near the 52-week lows. So there's very little fear in the market. And generally, when there's no fear in the market, you're going to get clobbered. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I think that the fact that it ran up to 4,100 at the end of the quarter uh, was window dressing. Uh, it's a little bit too much too fast. And uh, uh, I think we're going to see a little bit of a pullback. I'm not, uh, again, I'm not one of these. Uh, 3,100, 3,200 guys. I'm, uh, no, I th- but a pullback could be 3,800. Yeah, I think the the, the, the low that we put in at the uh, 3,491, uh, I think will be the low for the year, um, I'm hoping. We um, haven't got calls about penny stocks recently, so that's, no, that's good news. No. Uh, Market so, hasn't run up that much exactly, yet. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday morning. Hope you learned something. Hope you got something out of the show. We always appreciate your, your listening, and we, we enjoy bringing you the show. Uh, we all want to be happy. As we get older, we really, really want to be healthy. Yeah. But at Greenberg Financial, what we're shooting for is to be profitable. profitable. Talk to you next Say week. It's all-